0: Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hi podcast listeners. It's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Jeannie Park. She is the CEO of Tree Swing Video. And today we are going to be talking about the value of video and how to present yourself on video and being the face of your organization, which I know is just something that it's kind of uncomfortable for a lot of us out there, myself included. Welcome, Jeannie. Hi, thank you so much, Rhea. I'm so glad to be here. We're excited to have you. Before we
1: jump in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do with Tree Swing Video? Yes, happy to. Jeannie Park, I'm the founder of Tree Swing Video, and we are a boutique videography agency located here in the Pacific Northwest. That basically means we do videos for B2B, and I also coach like video presence and video marketing as well
0: not to dive too deep into this, but we know that you used to be an actress. Is that how you got your start with the video
1: presence as it were? Yes, exactly. It's funny because I'm an introvert and I was kind of a shy kid, but something about performing really helped me to like get over my shyness a little bit. I had to kind of navigate that, but I did act professionally on stage and in front of the camera for 15 years. But basically we moved to Oregon from Minnesota, my family and I and lost my contract at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. But I had to come to Jesus, moment. And basically I went to life coaching. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today because we're talking about overcoming obstacles and mindset. And from there, I had to figure out how to get clients. And I heard that video was becoming a big thing. This is back in like 2014, 2015. And I started this videography business and we've really been able to take off since then.
0: Okay, let's start there because I think that that's an interesting place to start. Video is big and is only going to get bigger. I remember when I heard the statistic that YouTube was the second largest search engine after Google and I was like, mind blow. Talk to me a little bit about how to leverage video, especially for nonprofits who are trying to get the word out there about their cause
1: and issue. Absolutely. Yes, video is huge and it's just becoming huger. And I think that it's because we're all online, especially now with the pandemic, everyone is online. We're working online. A lot of people are working remotely from home still. Our kids are online. And after that, what do we do? We go on our devices. We're watching Netflix. Even when we're reading, like my husband reads with his tablet in his Kindle app, we're still on devices. And it's easy to go to whatever social media platform and a shop, and it's all about video if you think about it, if you had the choice between reading like a white paper, PDF, or like an annual report in a book or watching a video that summarizes like, what are you going to do? That's why video is so huge. And In terms of how organizations and nonprofits can leverage video, it's interesting. I just got this gig through a friend of mine, but it's, we're making video annual report for her organization. We're celebrating everything that they've done the past year. And from there, from this two to three minute video that can be used in so many different ways, we're going to do like snackable social media clips so that they can push that out. That's one way. But basically everything that you can do normally through paper or PDF, you can do through videos, training videos, onboarding, testimonial videos, whether it's from partners or your constituents that you're helping, a brand video, a mission statement video from the executive director, even team members, volunteers... They can whip out their phones at an event or whatever they're doing behind the scenes on Instagram, all these stories. Really, video is just taking over everything. And I think it really will help nonprofits and organizations as well. As much as I would like
0: to think it's all about audio as a podcaster and recent Clubhouse number, I still don't know how to use it, but and I know me too. I mean- <laughs> I think you're right though. I think video is the thing. The kids these days are on the TikTok, right? Like, you know, it really (laughs) is about video. And I do think that we have the ability to do pretty high quality video now with iPhones and others. Like we've lowered the barrier to entry, Mm -hmm. have we not?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you can definitely take pretty good quality video now with your phones. The problem is that really works, for example, as I was saying, for volunteers, your team members to kind of whip out their phone and do a little behind the scenes. That's fantastic for that. But when you're trying to do something a little more dialed in for your website, the rule of thumb for me, I think, is the brand video that's on your website, on the home page. And that's the first introduction, especially if your brand is a little bit more elevated. If you've invested in that, then that's where you want a professional video. And about the podcasting too, like, of course, some people they want to listen to podcasts when they're driving. That's just how they like to digest information. But as we talked about, like, we're still doing this in a video format, and I'm going to take this video and make a little reel for us. So I love that cross pollination. So whether you're an oral learner or a visual learner, you should still find a way to leverage video.
0: Let me ask one quick question about the brand video, because I feel like we've had folks who talked about websites. Do people actually watch the brand video? Because I feel like the attention span these days is so short that people go to the website, they scan it, within eight seconds, they decide whether or not they wanna learn more, and then you have like a two minute brand video. So I guess I'm just wondering if you have any stats or ideas about like, is it worth doing a brand video on your front page of your website?
1: The statistics are, I don't have the most recent ones from last year, but from the last two or three years, are that it really does help conversion. So, whatever conversion means to you, whether it's a sale or the donate button or sign up for the newsletter, it does help. It's something like in the 60s, at least 60% increase in conversion. So, that's huge, but there is a little bit of an art to it. If they see that it's like a kind of a cell phone quality video. And it's that dissonance, that cognitive dissonance. If it's not matching your brand, you're actually better off not putting it on there. And it matters where you put it. It matters like what the image is. So you want to make it very easy and it should look good because we're very visual, all, all of us now, right? We want it to look good and it should be short. So no more than two minutes. All right, let's talk about looking good. <laughs> OK, <laughs>
0: because I feel like now we're in this world where everyone is on a screen, and many executive directors, I know, first got into the work because they love the work, but part of being the executive director, the face of the organization, is actually literally being the face of the organization, you know being on media, interviews, etc. How do you look good on video? <laughs>
1: Well, we were talking about this a little bit in the pre-interview and there are little tips and tricks. So just in terms of looking your best on camera, you want to pay attention to things like framing and like what's in the background and you want to have the camera at the right height. So the easiest thing for a lot of people, we're on our laptops, we're doing Zoom or Microsoft Teams meetings, you want to raise your laptop on a box or some books and angle that lid slightly down towards you so that you want a little bit of space between you and the top of your frame. Just that is going to make you look better than if you have the laptop on the desk and it's looking up at you. It's not a very flattering angle. That and just having some lights makes a huge difference. So that's one thing, but what I really want to talk about is mindset because that's kind of what we were talking about, like five steps to overcoming your discomfort, right? And a lot of it is really so just the difference between thinking about looking good and feeling your best, trying to come across your best. It's just a subtle shift, but the more we can get away from that kind of judgmental piece, that self-judgment, that's where we get tripped up. is we externalize. We think about what other people might be thinking and saying and writing about us, but they're not thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are because they're too busy worrying about themselves. Like how much time do we spend judging other people in the Zoom call? (laughs) And how much time do we spend critiquing every wrinkle or hair or if we look jowly or tired that day? So that's kind of a big piece of it is that self-acceptance and learning to be kind with yourself.
0: We talked about this a little bit and would love for you to share because I hate watching myself on video. Like, to your point, we're all very self critical. And Mm -hmm. so when I see myself on video, I'll start to talk about, like, oh, God, does my face do that? And ugh. But that happens to everyone, right?
1: (laughs) You're a professional actress. This happens to everyone. everyone. Okay. I mean, (laughs) you would be amazed. I mean, I'll get people who have done TED Talks. Like literally, and they're public speakers, or they're at the head of a hundred million dollar company, and almost everyone struggles with it. But it's so funny because, like, we know that this is how we look, and we know we look in the mirror, and we get up, and we don't have an existential crisis every time we look in the mirror and brush our teeth. And yet, <laughs> we get. Well, maybe some people do, but but we get in front of a camera, and it's almost as if we feel like the camera can see through us somehow, and the knowledge that this is, it's a video, it's recorded, it's going to be online, it's forever. It's that lack of control piece. And again, I think it's that the worry about the external gaze, it's that external validation piece. So it's an inside job. You have to kind of make peace with it. And something that I like to coach my clients on is that whole Simon Sinek, the why like, what is your why? And we're more talking about nonprofits, talking about being mission-led and purpose-driven. I think it's important as individuals to know your individual why and your individual mission and your individual purpose, like write it out and lean into those things so that every time you're about to go on camera or do an interview or give a speech or whatever it is that triggers you as the representative of that organization or business, it's not about not feeling those things. I mean, you may always feel uncomfortable. It's about accepting that and allowing it and leaning into the bigger purpose. That is what I think every person who's become super visible has had to navigate that process. And it's like a muscle, you get better at it. So
0: let's talk about how we communicate. I forget the actual numbers, but we've heard that a big part of communication is actually the tone of your voice and your body language as opposed to the things that you're saying. And I was listening yeah. to an interview recently with this woman who has an AI platform that reads people's facial expressions in reaction mm-hmm. to you know, advertising and marketing. So I'm just wondering in this world where we're all on cameras, how should we be thinking about body language? Do we overemphasize? Are we, I mean, I noticed that you were gesturing a lot with your hands. Is that something that we're doing? Like, how do we come across in the way that we want to come across?
1: So that's, it's kind of a tricky thing because on the one hand, it's good to be aware of information like that. Like it's good to be aware that so much of our communication is actually nonverbal. I mean, it's a really high number, something like 80%, which is crazy. And you want to be able to leverage that. And for example, When I work with people who do a lot of public speaking and then they get in front of a camera, sometimes their gestures can be super expansive and they're like wiggling all over the place. And it's just about minimizing those distractions so that your energy, however you want to talk about it, your message, whatever it is you want to connect is front and center. On the other hand, some people, when we're uncomfortable, sometimes we can kind of freeze And if you just never use your hands and you're very still like this and you're doing that for an hour, you can just appear like you're uncomfortable and it can be a little less engaging. It's good to practice. I hate to say it, but if you are ever recorded or you can just record yourself using Zoom or something like that at home, we're talking about this a little bit. And when you play it back, it can be uncomfortable, but there's a difference between looking at yourself and savagely judging yourself. And looking at your performance, think of yourself as an actor, like this is your public persona and gently critiquing, what can I work on? So think of it like a craft and go away from the thinking like I'm bad at this, or this is only for extroverts, or this is only for this type of person. That's not true. What's more important is what actors do. Drawing upon my acting background, what is your intention? And take a moment before you do whatever the public speaking or being on camera, take a second to breathe and drop into your body and connect with what is your intention? What is the number one thing you want your audience to go away with? And from that place of generosity, you start to get past your own stuff because that's what we're here for. We're really here to communicate, to connect, to share, to make things better. And everything else can be there, but it can take a backseat. As you were talking, I was just
0: thinking about this anecdote that I once heard about Beyonce. Apparently Beyonce, who's such a perfectionist, will do an entire concert, and then directly after the concert, will play the entire concert in video and provide copious notes for everybody on the concert. Which, wow, talk about dedication to a craft. Like The woman puts on a two-hour show and then does notes for that? To your point, we don't have to be Beyonce, but we probably do have to be a little bit more reflective.
1: Right. I mean, but I love that story and I hadn't heard that because we think of Beyonce as almost being this, like the queen, this alien creature. Like she just came Appears, out of- tears, right? She just right, she dropped she's like this in from goddess. somewhere and graced us. Right, totally. But it's hard work and that dedication and laser focus. And actually, I like that you bring that up because something about the pregame. So I think the pregame. So what I mean by that is your mindset, what you're doing before you go on camera, before you do the interview, the talk, you go to the schmoozy gala event, whatever. It's really important. And like when I do something like public speaking or actors do this, athletes do this, they visualize. So visualize yourself going through that whole Thing The whole speech, the whole event, and we want to visualize ourselves at our peak, right? Like that you're, you're doing really well at it. But this is a step that a lot of people miss is particularly if you're giving a talk, if it's you on a stage where COVID is pretty much behind us, visualize the distractions. A lot of people skip this step because you are going to be distracted a cell phone is going to go off or somebody key in the audience is going to get up and leave or somebody in the front seat is going to fall asleep. And we're so often thrown. And this happens too. I see this online when people are giving presentations, like the husband walks by or like all those funny bloopers, right? Like the toddler (laughs) walks in and the guy's like giving his news report. Visualize that, visualize you're momentarily going to be distracted and then visualize yourself getting past it, getting back on track. And the more you can do that, that's what's actually going to happen in the moment because you've practiced it.
0: Yeah. I think that's such an important point. I also remember Steve Jobs used to have these amazing talks, right? And they seem so natural, so off the cuff, but he would practice for two weeks solidly before delivering it yeah. in order to make it seem natural. So
1: your point is well taken. Yeah. None of us are born this way. It's work. Not it's even course. Beyonce. Not
0: even Beyonce. Beyonce. She works her ass off, yeah. Yeah, Um, totally.
1: Practice your talks, practice your presentations. You don't have to do it for two weeks solid, but I'd like to do it at least like three times if I have a talk I'm giving, yeah. So Jeannie, what if I
0: hear you? I'm like, okay, Jeannie, I hear you. I can practice all the things. I am just an introvert and I hate being the face of my organization. And no matter how many times I practice this in front of yourself, in the mirror, whatever,
1: I just hate it, what would you counsel? I say that's okay, you're allowed to hate it. Here, like I was an actress for 15 years and I had terrible stage fright and I really didn't like performing that much. (laughs) So that might make people wonder, well, why did you do it? Because there are a lot of other things I did like about it. I loved the research. I loved learning about a world in a play. I loved collaborating with people. I loved talking with the audience about all the issues. I loved when things went wrong on stage and like watching us all scramble, we go off and like laugh our butts off. I loved a lot of those things, but I didn't really like performing that much. So you can not like that. However, that's what I was talking about. Like find what you do like about it and lean into that. And know that even if you don't like something, you can still tolerate it and get better at it. So you look at it as a challenge. Like, how can I make this more palatable? And Once we get past, it's a lot of it is about ego. Like once we get past, what is our ego going through? And we're thinking it's about service a lot of the time, right? Or maybe it's about achievement for you, or it could be the financial stability, whatever it is, it's important. And there's no judgment about that. Lead
0: with that. Okay. So I have a couple of questions coming in, which I think will be interesting. So Sarah, do you want to ask? Thank you. This is such an interesting conversation so far. And I'm really
1: interested in how... We continue this conversation while also recognising that it's one thing to be the leader of the organisation and therefore its face, and also that the work we do has many storytellers as well. And so how do we
0: maintain this conversation and build our confidence and our ability to be the face without slipping into, I guess, some founder syndrome or centering ourselves too much?
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Yes, definitely. This isn't just for somebody who's the executive director or the president of the business. At some point when you're the representative, you're having the conversation in the meeting, you're representing your organization. So whatever your position is, the same guidelines apply because you're stepping into that space. And so people are looking to you to be the face and or voice, right? It's the same thing for you. And something that's important to realize is that we're not our jobs. Like we're not the organization. You are your own person, and this is what you do for a living. And so we're always stepping in and then stepping back out. But I think it's about the intention. And I think it's about allowing yourself. There's that little gap of, I don't feel a hundred percent qualified to be the face right now. Everybody has that, that sort of imposter syndrome thing. And just knowing that everybody feels that always makes me feel better. It doesn't matter. People know that. So it's about giving yourself grace, I think, and permission to be perfectly imperfect and to just carry your good intention and whatever preparation you have and just go forth boldly with curiosity. Oh, I was just going to speak to that centering yourself. It's such an interesting thing. And it, full transparency, it's such a layered thing. And we talk about that in different ways. So in a way, I think it's okay to, in that moment, if you're called to be the representative, it's okay to center yourself in that moment. Cause that's kind of what's being asked of you, but there's also a sensitivity that I'm hearing there about when other people, when we can take a step back and let other people have their moment and step forward. And so that's, I think that's something we all as humans and individuals today have to navigate in different situations. And just the fact that you ask that question tells me that that's probably not a problem for you too much. Just to have the sensitivity, I think is the first step.
0: And Sarah, if I could also add on to that, I think one thing I might recommend as well is to provide storytelling training to everybody in the organization, because to your point, I think everyone has a story to tell, and there's a reason why they are connected to your cause in this moment, and so the more that we can train people to be storytellers, that are not just the CEO or head of the organization, but everyone will be a powerful tool for your organization. And I think to your point, Jeannie, we have to train people. Like Most people are not natural born storytellers. Would you agree with that?
1: I disagree with that. Really? I do. I think that we all tell stories. If you have two toddlers together, they're going to tell a story to each other one way or another. I think that what's different about it is our society likes to judge who's a good like we're just talking about the golden globes at the beginning of the cult we like to give awards and judge who's a good storyteller and who's not and i think there's a place for training because i think somewhere along the way we internalize or we're told that we're not good at it but Mm. everything is story i mean we tell stories to our kids in the backyard right once we're out there and with a drink in hand with our friends and neighbors what do we do we tell each other stories I think we're all storytellers. I don't think all of us are natural born
0: good storytellers. (laughs) I think we can become good. I think growth mindset, I think you can, but. Yes, I hear what you're saying. I've been in rooms with people. I'm like, this is just going
1: on and on. It's like being in a fishbowl. It just turns and there's nothing here. It's a craft. It's a craft and you can always get better, but you're right. The growth mindset is the way to go.
0: Okay, cool. We have a question coming in from Lynn. Lynn, what's your question?
1: Hello. So I work for a nonprofit. And Jeannie, you were talking about the video annual report, which I have done a modified version of that. But this past year, we did as part of our annual end of year appeal, we wanted to do a lot of videos showcasing kind of where we make impacts. And my disappointment was that to me, everything, it was very much on brand, but it was also, it, everything looked exactly the same. I, my thought was that if you saw this in social media, you would go past because you probably thought you had already seen that. So suggestions for staying on brand, but differentiating your stories so that people realize these are all different elements, different video elements of this. I just felt like we just kind of, everything looked so same that it just, I don't think it got through. Yeah, so one of the human needs is variety. And I think that's why a lot of us are struggling these days, because so much of our variety has been taken away from us. And the same is true in storytelling and the same is true with video storytelling. So some of this is subjective. However, I do agree, especially if you're trying to, it's like the greatest hits of the past year and you want to have like a variety. So it's fun to have, you could have some more professional looking stuff, maybe some Zoom recordings, some people just like whipping out their phone and doing a little behind the scenes, like an event of a volunteering event or a little bit of the gala. Yeah, absolutely having that variety. But I guess what it comes down to maybe from the contact person who's in charge of the video or whoever the stakeholders are, is to have the conversation with whoever is building that video for you. And so now what you didn't like, so next time you can show them and say, this happened and this is where I was a little disappointed. It's always helpful too, to find, it's just like getting your haircut, like find some examples that you do like doesn't even have to be in your exact field and show them, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. So this is what I'm hoping. And what we do with our clients is we'll put the rough cut, the first draft together, based on everything we've talked about. We give them two rounds of revisions, so they can say, oh, Jeannie, I thought there'd be more variety. Like, do you have any other shots maybe that don't feel the same or it's a different background or different type of camera, or whatever. So then we can address that. So just like with your hairdresser, give them a chance to make it right. And if they don't do that, if they don't offer that to you, that would be a little bit of a red flag for me, because how are you going to be satisfied if you can't give input? That's the storytelling aspect of the video team. It reminds me of something I heard recently,
0: which is the number one sin of marketing is to be boring. So I guess in some ways it's better to be offensive than it is to be boring. And I often think in the nonprofit space, we're so afraid of causing offense or any kind of controversy that we decide that boring is better
1: than potentially controversial. And talk to comedians and stand-up comics and they say, oh my gosh, it's impossible to do comedy these days because we've become (laughs) so...
0: I'm an amateur stand-up comedian. I don't know if you knew that. That's right. You mentioned that. So, well, tell me about that. How is it to think of writing jokes and comedy these
1: days?
0: (laughs) Well, I don't do comedy these days because comedy online on Zoom sucks. But you're right. There is such sensitivity that it's hard to make jokes. It's hard to make jokes these
1: days. Yeah. And it's so hard to think, like, okay, so I can't be boring. (laughs) So, and then we automatically think, but I'm boring, right? Like, how many people say that? Oh, I'm so boring. But again, I don't think we are boring. I think humans, we are wacky and (laughs) we are mysterious and we're all so different and we're all weird in our own little bubbles. We've just learned to mask it because we're afraid of being called out, right? So it's a little bit of letting your freak freak flag flag
0: fly. fly.
1: (laughs) I was going to say that, but I don't know. I kind of think it's better to err on the side of going with your impulses, that thing that's like, that makes you go, ooh, can we do that? Like that would be so fun and so different or I've always wanted to try that. And then ask for forgiveness later. So this is where having multiple drafts helps where you can kind of run it by the executive team or the board or whatever and have them say, maybe not that part, but we love this rather than killing your impulses right from the beginning. Right, well, there's also editing by committee, which never really works. I know, I know, but it is better than afterwards being told, we can't use this. (laughs) I don't know, or just doing something that totally falls flat, I think. So it's so much about the people involved and the organization, but that's where I come from. Like I like being bold and I like to see what I can get away with. (laughs) I'm with you, Jeannie. One of my favorite terms is ask for forgiveness, not permission. So
0: as we round out, can you give us some concrete tips About how we can improve our presence in a video context. Because again, we're all on video all the time and we want to appear our best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, like I was saying, just like raising your laptop and you want it to be at eye level. So, that's the first thing. If you're having the camera look up at you, it's just not a very flattering angle for anybody. And have some lights, like get a ring light. They're really inexpensive on Amazon these days. Also, sound is important. So, having some kind of like good. You've got an amazing podcast quality, mic, and I've just got this like headset, but even like earbuds or AirPods, play with it and see, record and see what, what you think sounds good.
0: Funny question. What do you recommend as far as what to wear? Because I always feel like it's a business on top, party on the bottom, i wearing pajama bottoms, but <laughs> what looks good on camera, because I always feel like sometimes when I wear a turtleneck, it looks like I have no neck. deck. I'm like this floating head. Yes.
1: And turtlenecks are really in right now. They're very fashionable. So some of it, again, is subjective in general on camera, like solid colors work well, bright colors. If you want to stand out like today, I was like, I was going to wear my black turtleneck sweater. Like that's what I'd probably have just worn for a casual like team meeting or something like that. I was like, no, this is a podcast, but we're doing video. So I knew I needed to model it, but you can see how it really just does pop. Now, if that's not your thing, if you're not a hot pink kind of person, like jewel tones work well, you can get away with patterns, but in general, like bigger patterns, not like small, tiny dots or like really, really narrow stripes. They don't do well with the camera because of the frame rates and stuff. Yeah, and in general, this is a little bit on the like boxy side. If I were doing a full body, I would take some clips and just clip that. And you can see that even that, it's not about trying to look skinny, but it's just about shape. Like this is just kind of boxy. But since I'm just sitting like this, it doesn't really make a difference. So does that help?
0: Yeah. And one thing I always have to remind myself is sit up straight because sit up the straight sound is different than when you're slumping.
1: Yes. And it's okay for informal meetings, obviously. But yeah, when you're giving a presentation, I mean, standing is good. Like I could have been standing today. But if you're sitting, you want to sit up straight. So if you're kind of slouched like this, like, I just look kind of tired or like, I don't care. So you want to have just good alignment. And it does help with breathing and your voice dropping in and all that.
0: Yeah. One thing I always have to remind myself when I'm in these Zoom meetings is to stay alert and like watch my face because I can have some RBF. And <laughs> when people are looking around to see who's paying attention, you don't want to be the person who's like.
1: Yeah. So for those of you who don't are like, what's RBF? So that's, can we say this <laughs> resting bitch yeah. face? What's interesting about that? Like, is there an equivalent for guys, for men? No, of course not. And it's super sexist. Right. R- like RDF. Let's make RDF a thing. RDF. <laughs> <laughs> we won't define. That. We can just imagine. Could <laughs> be resting, jerkbag face. Yeah. From an acting standpoint, there's so many things that we want to be thinking about, right? Like what is our face doing? What are we doing with our hands breathing? And so you can kind of make yourself crazy worrying about all these things. And the thing that you learn as an actor through training is the way to marry all that together. So you can still be present when you're performing and not thinking technically, about all these things, you do that in rehearsal. And then when you're performing, you try to throw all that away. And then you're just trying to be in the moment and go with your intention from moment to moment to moment. So the way to do that is... It's a joke, but like, what is your objective? Like, method actors are always joking about that. Like, what is my intention right now? But it's actually a joke because it's true. So, when you are really listening, and if you think a little bit about it as practice, like, so if I'm just talking like this the whole time and I just have no expression on my face, I can be very engaged, but I might come across like, I don't really care or something. So, you do have to practice smiling just a little. It's not like this, but just a little everybody can practice right now. Just a little half smile, right? Kind of nod as you're listening. I mean, I train so many people in front of the camera this because when they get in front of the camera, they're just like white knuckling it and trying to get through it. And they play it back and they say, why didn't you tell me to smile? And I say, because you wouldn't have remembered or believed me. <laughs> so when you watch yourself back and you're like, oh my gosh, like just a little tiny smile completely warms up your delivery and it's practice after a while, I don't even have to think about it anymore. I just okay. kind yeah. I know I said this last one, really the last question. What are your thoughts about power posing? Does this work? Yeah, yes. Can we talk about power posing? So Amy Cuddy, and she had a partner, a research partner, it was like 10 years ago, and she gave a TED Talk famously. So look up Amy Cuddy power pose on TED Talk. But they did research on this and there are certain poses that we strike. Yes, like this. It's kind of like superpower, superhero poses like this, or even like this, where you're, your shoulders are back and like you've got your arms kind of like, yes, in a victory pose or like that. People will do this. Go to a bathroom stall, like before they're giving their big talk in front of like hundreds of people, I'll do it when I'm nervous and I'm about to go do a big speech or something. And what happens is it raises your testosterone, just striking that pose, You got to hold it for, let's say 30 seconds. I think it's two minutes. Two minutes. Oh my gosh. That's a long time. I don't do it for two minutes, but try it for two minutes. Sometimes it's just after a while, you, it's just as a reminder and so you kind of can do a little you know, shortcut, but it raises your testosterone and it decreases your cortisol, which is like the stress hormone. And that combination, it makes you feel a little bit more confident. It's funny. I tell my
0: students to do that before a big fundraising ask, go to the bathroom, power pose, then yeah. go on the ask.
1: Yeah. And you have to have like your feet kind of like, planted. like shoulder width apart, yeah. planted. It's like, yeah. it's an empowering pose. Yeah. All right, dude, this has been so fun.
0: Can you tell us where we can find more information about you and your work? Yes,
1: absolutely. So the easiest way is probably to go to treeswingvideo.com. So that's the name of our company, treeswingvideo. Video. So treeswingvideo.com. You can see samples of our work. I have a course called Get Over Yourself and Start Making Videos. It's a do-it-yourself video course. It's all online. You take it at your own pace. So there's a page that describes that. And you can contact me through the website. It's probably the easiest way. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thank you, Jeannie. Thanks to all
0: of us for your time. And uh, we'll make sure to put Jeannie's information in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good day, everyone.